being reasonable. Now heard on WHUP LP Hillsborough, WCOM Carborough and WPVM Asheville. Being Reasonable comes to you from the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina. Please fasten your seatbelts. I'm Mark Solomon, and you are taking part in Being Reasonable, the weekly conversation show that focuses on how we've arrived on our steadfast views and our desire to know what is true. To participate in this friendly collaboration, All you need is respectfulness and an honest interest in the truth. We can all improve the way we form and consider our beliefs, and we can do so by being reasonable. One, two. On this week's show, I have the pleasure of interviewing West Coast rapper and recording artist Graydon Square as he discusses the reasons behind his unique style of lyricism. Next, we speak with Jane Burnett from the Center for Spiritual Living in Graham, North Carolina, as she discusses her belief in a supernatural presence. But first up, let's listen to a track from Graydon Square before we speak to the West Coast recording artist himself. Global system erased in an earth collision, extinction level event from comments that 
27 cents Atomic malevolence, trick knowledge from presidents The study of evidence, pursuing benevolence Galactic alliances with secular scientists Immortal astrologists, exploring the bottomless Ignored by the populace, on course with apocalypse Control the very idea and nature of somebody needing to save us is old. Religiosity's taking its toll. You don't even challenge the old worldviews they placed in your skull. That's why I got you beat with a whole array of common functions. You're weak. You think you need a god to accomplish something. Another classic case of codependence. If he's all that you say that he is, he probably negates his own existence. They exterminate enemies in the form of raids. Former slaves still serving the gods of former slaves. I fight for the freedom of strangers when I blurt lines. I'm Tilk on the mic, Apophis' ex-first prime. I've been constantly evolving since the first rhyme. You can do one thing with yours, I can invert mine. I dare your God to show up to damn my blasphemy. I bet I'll have more questions for his ass than I'll have for me. Sam Harris, he catches a lot of grief because he does not treat all religions the same. He definitely makes the distinction between the different claims religions make, and I think he would argue the importance of being liberal in the classical sense that each religion should be judged on its own terms and not equally. Which is why I don't associate with quote-unquote liberals, and I don't associate with quote-unquote progressives, and I don't associate with people who want to play for team Democrat or team blue, or, you know, it's like this, this type of thought policing and, you know, kind of making sure that people play the PC game, in my opinion, when there's clearly, you know, differences between certain religions and how far they're willing to go with their extremism than others. It's like, but once again, Sam Harris is a white male in, in a time where it's easy to, to, to point to him and say he's the racist. So if he says anything about Islam, it's like, oh, well, it's, you know, what does he know? He's a white guy. He's blah, blah. But it's like, you know how much stuff I didn't said about Islam? You know how much stuff I didn't pointed out about Islam? But no one's going to say that about me uh, because, well, I don't know why, but it doesn't really matter. I don't have to lose. So it's like, whatever. I've, You know, my thing is about cancel culture and PC culture is they can only cancel you if you have something to lose. And, and you know, most of us on the end, 
you know, most of us on the independent stage, we don't have anything to lose, so we can say what we want. Right. When people attack you or criticize you these days, is it for similar reasons when I first discovered your music in the early 2000s, or is it for different reasons now? Well, I still get the occasional, you know, religious, uh, uh, you know, fundamental, fundamentalist type of, you know, fire and brimstone type of, of Christian or even the submit or die Muslim. But nowadays, my criticisms come from not falling in line with, you know, the left, not falling in line with the, the, the progressive or liberal ideology that, you know, it seems that people expect black people to subscribe to. And what right. I find is that there's a, a an assumption that black people must be Democrats. They must be liberals. They must be progressives. And it's the same thing that I found that I was criticizing about, you know, black religiosity, that, you know, you had to be this kind of black Southern conservative in order to be accepted in the black community. Well, you fast forward 20 years, at least from my perspective, and now it's the liberal side, assuming that you're supposed to associate with a particular ideology or or thought doctrine. And I think that's where we're at. That's where I get, you know, a lot of my criticism. This is a street epistemology show, and we try to talk about what's true and what's real. How do you form your beliefs when there is so much noise out there on social media and on regular news sites? How do you cut through the noise to figure out what's real? That's a great question. Um, First, I have to recognize my biases, right? I have to recognize all the areas that I have blind spots in my biases. I'm a first worlder. Um, you know, I have a lot of privileges and advantages in being able to read, being able to write, have clean water, um, having a police department and a, and a fire department and a military force and all these things that keep me comfortable, right? So I don't get too um, um, comfortable in that and that I don't recognize what it is. Um, but having said that, I think what I try to do is I try to falsify anything that I read. If I agree with it, especially if I agree with it, I wanna try to make sure that it's something that, um, you know, that is verified and that, let's say I, I think a certain way, like when I, I kind of rejected my, my religiosity and my Christianity, I wanted to make sure that when I was taking on some of these new ideas, that I was even challenging these new ideas with people who were coming up with counter arguments to my atheism, to my secularism. I wanted to see, OK, well, how does the person who responds to the atheist, who is, you know, the, the theist who is two, three, four degrees up on the, the the ontological argument scale, right? They're having much more deep and nuanced and complex conversations about the nature of existence as opposed to, well, did the God of the Bible create existence? Like that's such a level one conversation for me, right? But there are some theists out there who will have these kind of level three, level four, level five conversations where it's like, okay, what is the nature of of of, of the 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 Einsoft being before he he makes a decision, before it makes a decision, right? What is the the first decision ever made by the, the quote unquote creator? Is it possible to have a creator that is of nature and not creates nature? Or can you have an afterlife without a creator or vice versa, whatever it is, right? Just different layers to the conversation than just what came first, the chicken or the egg. 
Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. Part of the problem of our times, at least how I see it through my lens, is that a large proportion of our population is unable to think critically or logically about things and don't understand the need to be able to, say, falsify a belief. A question to you is, how are we going to be able to get to where we need to go when many people are able to believe almost anything? Well, you have to separate the the, the crazy claims from the claims that should be addressed, right? Um, in my opinion, people give way too much credit and attention to flat earthers, right? Like we talk about the crazy things that people believe and all this type of stuff. This, this, I can only tell you how I deal with people like that, but I've had people come up to me and be like, hey, man, um, what do you think about, you know, flat earth, uh, right. the flat earth model or whatever? And I'm like, hey, man, I don't really have anything to say about that. And the moment they start talking to me about it, I'm just like, hey, I, let's just talk about something else because we're not we're, we're not going to agree on this. So I just taint, change the subject to something else or I'm pretty good at redirecting the conversation to another place, but. I just don't have the conversation. Um, I'm not going to recognize it. I'm not going to sit around and have a three-hour debate about why the earth is not flat. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, there's just, just too much evidence that disagrees with your, your premise, your assertion. So am I going to sit here and waste time with you trying to explain to you, you know, what you can clearly observe if you just decided that you didn't want the attention more? But what happens is, is a lot of these people, they just get so much attention from it. If I was to turn around tomorrow and say, I believe in the flat earth, you know how much attention I would get? Would you agree with the premise that the more people are able to falsify their own beliefs, the less beliefs we would ultimately have? No, I think the beliefs would just change. Um, we all have beliefs, whether they're theistically informed beliefs or not, right? Like, we all kind of believe in gravity, you know, we we all believe that there, you know, we, we don't think it's magic. We think there is a scientific processes. Most of us. Right. Like even the theists do. Mm -hmm. The theists don't believe that it's God producing a magical force holding people down. They accept that there is this function of nature called gravity. And it exists in most places where there's large masses and it indicates that curves space is curved and blah, blah, however far down the rabbit hole you want to go. But I just think that the beliefs change. Now, to me, what critical thinking does is it make you it makes you less susceptible and less vulnerable to hazardous and destructive beliefs because there is more logic put into the cost uh, reward analysis. Because, in my opinion, as a more of a critical thinker, you're going to think, okay, this, you know, the, the the benefit doesn't outweigh the cost in this situation. So we're simply not going to do it. But for some people, and, and you know, you bring religious and in, religion into this, they feel like it is worth the cost of living a certain life to 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 make it to heaven, you know, or it is worth the cost to avoid hell to live the, the right life. However you want to spend that. I see. But I think that the more critical thinking people you have, the more likely it is that the society is going to reject more hazardous beliefs out there. But I think that there are going to be beliefs that were replace the beliefs that are hazardous. We continue our conversation with West Coast rapper and recording artist, Graydon Square, after we listen to another one of his tracks, Stockholm Syndrome. 
fire Hate despair and drama If your God does love you I hope you make him wear a condom People think with prayer They're safe in the streets Frederick Douglass didn't become free Till he prayed with his feet You can tell the hell and God are man-made They both want to question authority And demand slaves And any incarnation of slavery Is not good So from here we can deduce Stockholm Syndrome is not hood But it gets deeper than this Especially when people get pissed When you point out their deity's nature And even intent But I'll never worship anything with evil in it especially something who allows evil to even exist i don't give a shit if he created me that don't give him the right to commit genocide with pride and act crazily his abused and neglected claim is crooked biz if this was cali dcfs would have came and took his kids belief is so important that if you don't you go to hell without the type of proof you need in court to avoid a jail give me the gas can and send me i don't need the draws all because i can't fathom how your god doesn't need a this looks like imprisonment yeah. What's worse is that the prisoners don't know that they're prisoners yeah. Even defend the tactics that are used to imprison them You're a conquered mind trying to yeah. conquer other minds Selling out here on But this looks like imprisonment yeah. What's worse is that the prisoners don't know that they're prisoners One, Even two. defend the tactics that are used to imprison them Another conquered mind trying to conquer other minds Freedom is an oxymoron None of them books scare me Not the Bible, not the Quran This is the Islam And it's fundamentalism The day you release your women I'll quit releasing venom Until then No amount of scientific contributions Could ever excuse your hateful chauvinistic institution But here's the real reason I'm not a Muslim Children, see your anointed prophet used to Listen, Muhammad was taking children as wives One he married at six and consummated at nine He was somewhere in his fifties trying to get in them draws She wasn't even ten yet, still playing with dolls So they try to hit me with the oh the times were different Rationalizing atrocities, now you sound like Christians I charge the views on women as sickening Either update the culture or just fade into history But either way This looks like imprisonment What's worse is that the prisoners don't know that they're prisoners Even defend the tactics that are used to imprison them A conquered mind trying to yeah. conquer other minds Selling out here on But this looks like imprisonment What's worse is that the prisoners don't know that they're prisoners Even defend the tactics that are used to imprison them For conquered minds trying to conquer other minds A challenge out here on But this looks like imprisonment What's worse is that the prisoners don't know that they're prisoners Even defend the tactics that are used to imprison them A conquered mind trying to conquer other minds Selling out here on But this looks like imprisonment What's worse is that the prisoners don't know that they're prisoners Even defend the tactics that are used to imprison them For conquered minds trying to conquer other minds A challenge coming here on truth about women in Islam. Now I am free, but I cannot forget my niece. She was forced to marry her cousin when she was 10. He was over 40. Her marriage was valid and legalized under the Islamic Sharia because Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, married his second wife when she was six. He was over 50. Well, let's change gears for a second. I'm aware of your background growing up in Compton, and your childhood was not always easy. My question to you is, why do you think you turned out the way you did 
when thousands of kids in your situation did not? Well, I think I was exposed to something that a lot of young African-American kids in, you know, the hood aren't really exposed to, which is science fiction. Um, because I was growing up in group homes, the group homes were multicultural. So there was white kids in the group home. There was Latino kids, Asian kids, Indian kids, whatever. Right. So we would listen to all different types of music. I listened to, you know, uh, country when I was, you know, a little boy and I listened to pop when I was a little boy and I listened to to jazz and 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 blues and swing and you know obviously hip hop. And so that had to do with the fact that I was in a group home with a bunch of different kids. And and my story was unique because the group home that I was growing up in, there was a kind of policy of, you know, survival of the fittest top of the food chain sort of thing and that's kind of how it is just with human nature in general right like in nature it's usually you know top of the food chain he who has the biggest stick or she who has the biggest stick makes the rule sort of thing mm -hmm. and so when i was young and this was when i was like 11 12 years old i was in a in a in a unit in a house with boys that were much older than me right the next oldest boy was 14 and then the other boys was like 16 and 17. And the rule was, if you wanted to change the channel on TV, you had to fight for it. Oh. You had to literally fight for it. You had to, if you wanted to change something from something that somebody else wanted to watch, right. and they didn't want to do that, let's go out back. That's it. And so some people were willing to test other people. Some people weren't. So it was a situation where it was like, if you wanted to watch anything, if you wanted to, to have a, a, any say in what was on the TV, you had to basically be willing to fight for it. And so I had to watch basically anything and everything that everybody else was watching. Um, if they were watching, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, I had to watch that. If they were watching Star Trek, I had to watch that. If they were watching Star Wars, I had to watch that. If they were watching, you know, P Power Rangers, I had to watch that. It didn't matter what it was. And so um, when I was younger, I was introduced to science fiction. And because a lot of young black kids aren't introduced to that, I feel like they they don't have the kind of imagination nurturing that science fiction gives you. Science fiction is one of those things that gives you it's like imagination steroids. Mm -hmm. If you get it as a kid, then you're when you're an adult, your imagination is going to be on, you know, steroids. It's going to be on superpower mode because you're just able to conceive things. Now your adult, more developed brain, you're able to find things that stimulate that part of your mind in a way that even as a kid, as, as vast as your imagination is as a kid, I think that if you don't stunt it, it's, it's you know, magnitudes greater when you're, you're older. So I think that's what the thing that separated me from, from a lot of the kids I grew up with. What was your conception of yourself at the time? Did you think you were the type of person who had it in you to go somewhere, do something good with your life, uh, accomplish something? Um, nah, I mean, the thing is, is I've always questioned reality, whatever the nature of reality is. I've always kind of questioned it, whether, you know, I thought that the idea of the creator God wasn't quite accurate or if this was a simulation or something like that. But you're talking about a time period where I was like on the cusp of kind of absorbing all of the gang culture and and, and indoctrination at that time. Mm -hmm. So I was going on a different path, right. even though I had a 
access to science fiction and I had the ability to kind of think in a different way, I still wasn't immune to the BS of, of the streets of L.A. So I was still getting in fights. I was still involved in gangs. I was still carrying a weapon. I was still doing all kind of stuff. So from my perspective, I was prepping myself to go to prison. I was prepping myself to be a, a lifelong institutionalized individual. I had never really considered I would ex- escape institutionalization. Right, right. So was there a moment, a person, some sort of situation, serendipity that brought it all together that changed the course of your life? Uh, shit, yeah, being deployed. <laughs> I'd say when you, when when I went to Iraq, and I, I tell people this all the time, you know, I, the the primary thing that I learned was the difference between society and nature and how comfortable we are in society and how vulnerable we are in nature. And so many people take the things in society for granted that it, it allows them to be, you know, this lifestyle or that lifestyle or whatever it is, because it's like you don't have to worry about eating every day. You don't have to worry about clean water every day. You don't have to worry about if you get a cut if you have antibiotics to prevent infection, or if you have to you get infection, you have to amputate in a non-sterile environment. You don't have to think about none of that stuff. All you have to think of is wake up. Oh, what do I want to eat today? I go to the supermarket. Ha, ha, ha. I get to listen to my favorite podcast. Ha, ha, ha. And you just go on about your day, not knowing what it actually costs. Well, when you leave the country, you see what it costs. Mm-hmm. So you don't have this, this idea of like, you got it so bad and it's so bad here in America and we're so oppressed. And it's like, really? Have you ever left this country at all? And I find that interesting how those events changed you. And I imagine there were people in your unit who experienced similar things you did and became more religious instead of less religious. And some did. And I don't think that it's, they chose the wrong direction. I don't think I chose the right direction. I think it. we're all trying to understand the nature of reality. And I think gods are, are ways, one way for people to try to explain that. Science is another way for people try to, to try to explain that. Um, I fell on the science side because I felt like it made more logical sense to my mind. But I understand why people go the other way. Um, it The way that this reality is set up, it's like, no one gets to say, ha ha, I told you so. We're right when you die. So some people are just going to hedge their bets on one side or the other. Um, I tend to have a much more bizarre set of beliefs, I think, than even a theist or a creationist does. It just happens to not be fall into the, the realm of creationism. But it's not any less bizarre because I think the universe is weird as you know what. So, How important is truth to you? Um, it's important, but I also understand that not everybody's going to agree on my definition of what's true and, and what's not. There's a, lo- a level of relativity that has to be considered where it's like your truth will ultimately be your truth. No matter how much evidence I put in front of you, you ultimately will see things the way you your brain is configured to see things in the most logical way, however that is. So if you are there objective truths, um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think that there are things that that exist in reality, whether there are there are things to observe them or not. But who's to define what is true and and what is it? I think that's where it gets weird. It's like, how do you define true? Who is the 
the the definer of truth because that's where religion i think has a has a foothold into people's minds is that there is a being there that can define truth objectively like like everyone can agree because this being defines what truth is and i think when you don't have that that ultimate being there to say this is what truth is and this is what a lie is or whatever then ultimately it's up to everybody else to kind of decide what what their own personal truth is I understand that if we both define in, let's say, you know, regular 10 base math that, you know, two singulars uh, will equal a double or a, 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 a set of, of two, two singulars, right? So one plus one equals two. I'm following you. To someone who is intellectually challenged right and I'm, I'm trying to frame this in the most pc way right like um special special needs whatever you want to call this person right someone who is actually below the normal intellectual threshold um whose logic and 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 critical thinking level may not be what the average person is okay um it, am I to expect that this person is going to be able to consider and conceive and comprehend things in the way that I would be able to articulate to him? Or is there a threshold of what he would be able to understand? Right. But I guess what I'm saying is that one plus one would equal two regardless of someone's intellectual ability. Right. But I'm not arguing whether that is quote unquote true. I'm arguing whether the person we're trying to explain that to can, can, can perceive of the truth can comprehend of the truth that's being told to them. Whether it's true or not is, I mean, we can argue that it's true. I would agree that it's true. But what I'm saying is, is if that person doesn't have the intellectual threshold to comprehend what we're talking about, then it doesn't matter how plain the truth is, they're not going to be able to comprehend it. I think maybe what you're saying is that all truths are personal. Yeah, I think there is a level of subjectivity to all truths. I mean, here's the problem. Like, I I don't believe that we live in just a four-dimensional reality, right? I, th I believe in more of an 11-dimensional kind of much more layered and nuanced type of reality. And I say believe and, and not think because there's only so much of that's testable. Right. Like there's when you start talking about multiverses and mm -hmm. and and different type of realities that really aren't testable. It's at the end of the day, it's not really science. Sure. But I'm I am one of those people who think that there is a type of multiverse at play here. So if in this reality, something is, you know. Is adhering to the laws of physics in this reality and in that reality, the laws of physics are configured slightly different to where that truth and this truth, sorry, that truth and this truth are not identical, then what I'm saying is, is that from this reality's perspective, that truth is the ultimate objective truth. And to the other reality, that truth is the ultimate objective truth. But they're not the same truths. Well, how important is it for you to believe in things that are true and real for this universe in terms of things that can be tested, uh, repeated, falsified? For me, on a scale of one to ten, seven. I'd say it's about a seven. We use seven on this show, Graydon. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'd use a seven. Okay, you'd say a seven. Mm-hmm. 
who is the next Graydon Square? You know, the new young rapper who is rapping about subjects nobody else is touching for the generation coming up. I would say, I mean, I would say sci-fi is the new Graydon Square, but I wouldn't even say that because the difference between me and, and what anybody else is doing is what I try to do is I try to create an ideology, if you will, right? So trans-intellectualism was the ideology that I, I formed. And the idea was is that, you know, Grand Unified was going to be a collective that was propelled by the ideology of trans-intellectualism, which was this, this notion that we would use our creativity to educate and inform people to help propel humanity up to Carter's scale. The goal was always for me to create something bigger than myself. Now, anybody who's going to be compared to me on that level would have to create something similar to Grand Unified and not just be a quote-unquote dope rapper. Because you can be a dope rapper all day. That's cool. That's mm -hmm. dope. That's dope. But can you create Grand Unified? Well, Graydon, thank you so much for coming on our show. There was a time in my life when I listened to your music almost exclusively. Wow. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I really appreciate what you do. And I do wish you well. We hold a conversation with Jane Burnett from the Center for Spiritual Living in Graham, North Carolina, as she discusses her belief in a supernatural presence. Coming up after this short break. Today is a new day, a warm and happy day, a good time to be alive. Say goodbye to the ice and snow, enjoy the red Bordeaux, look how you survive. But now is the spring of our discontent. Glow. I'll bet you'll steal the show You've rubbed me the right way You're the cream of the crop You've reached that hilltop You've blown the cobwebs away But now is the spring of our discontent
I guess right now, the one belief that I'm focused on more than any is that there is an overriding consciousness that uh, is aware of each of us individually, uh, loves each of us individually, and sustains each of us individually. So there is a consciousness Hmm. that... Or presence, if you will. There is a presence Uh that interacts with all of us personally. Right. And guides us personally. Yeah. Tell me more. Well, the reason probably that this is so up for me right now, I just signed up for hospice for my mother yesterday. Oh, sorry to hear that. So, thank you. Uh, So, I'm leaning very heavily into that. Beneficence of of this presence and... um, Knowing that she has a relationship with the presence within her, just like I have a presence with a relationship within me. What does the presence do? It's centering. It's grounding. It's loving. I believe it's the truth of all of us, deep inside of us. Within you, there is a a presence that kind of validates these things or invalidates them when you say, oh, I, you know, that guy over there is doing thus and such. And the little voice inside of you or, or, or whatever it is says, well, you know, maybe that guy's, maybe he's running late for something or, or maybe, uh, maybe he's, he's not familiar to the area and he doesn't know our customs. You know, something that will temper my reaction. So we're talking about a presence. We're talking about a voice inside you that assists you in making correct decisions. It assists me in making correct decisions, and it tempers my judgments. And I don't want you to think I've got a lot of voices going on in my head, because that's, you know, it isn't really a, a voice per se, as it's just like it occurs to you. Something occurs to you, an- another thought, a tempering thought. Is this presence coming from somewhere else, or is it coming from inside us? I think it's coming from in- inside of us. If I'm doing something incorrectly, let's say, and I need to shift my attention or do something more correct, uh huh, would my brain do that, or would something else, such as the presence, do that? I think the brain is the one that assesses that. Hey, we're not doing. We're not a hundred percent correct here. There's a better way to do this, and it it kind of. I think it signals. You know, there's there's a, a thought that goes out for you, like from you, like this should be done differently, or this should be done better, or this isn't working out the way I thought it was. And I think that that emanates from you, and I think that or, or emanates deeply within you. And um, then then that then the presence responds. So the brain interacts with the presence. Mm, I believe so. Well, how do we know it's true? Uh, because I haven't been able to find any contraindication of it in anything. I've never fi- found anything that argues that that belief isn't true. If someone believes that they can fly mm-hmm. and they haven't seen contraindications to that, uh huh, does that make that belief true? 
Yeah, it does. And uh, and that gets back into the... Um, I know there was a saint, uh, is it Teresa of Avila, that could levitate? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and she's famous for having done this. This is a... a she was a nun centuries ago, and she's famous for having done that. But uh, it's my understanding that, you know, she was levitating. Anybody in her presence experienced the levitation. But for somebody looking on, she wasn't levitating. So if only she can see herself levitating and nobody else can see herself levitating, does that make that belief true? I don't know. That's a good question, because as she believed it, she experienced it, and that was her experience of the levitation. Just because you experience something, right? what does it say about that something being true? That it may or may not be true in the physical realm. Let's say on a scale from one to seven, uh-huh. the concept of this presence uh-huh. interacting with your brain yeah. and helping you make decisions. How confident are you that this belief is true? Seven. On a scale from one to seven, mm-hmm. how important is it for you to believe in things that are true and real? I'd say a six. With that in mind, let's say Tanya is sitting next to you. And Tanya tells me and you a similar story about what happened this morning, about trying to get ready and had difficulty, but this presence helped guide Tanya getting ready in the morning. Right. The difference is is that Tanya says, I know I have a brain, and Uh brains are responsible for thoughts and behavior, and I think that my brain was responsible for doing all those things that you say a presence has done. Uh Uh-huh. How can we tell whose belief is more true and real? Well, I don't know. It's kind of like you say tomato and I say tomato. If she considers that it's her brain, if she's getting the guidance that she's looking for, if she wants to assign it to her brain, whereas I assign it to a presence, to a, to a greater truth that's within me, uh, then, uh, I, you know, as long as it's working. Let's say it works equally well. Uh-huh. And we just want to find out what's true. Uh-huh. How could we find out? I don't know, because you'd have to get into... Her definition of the brain, what she's considering her brain, may very be, very well be what I consider the presence. So if she defines the brain as the organ inside her head called the brain, uh-huh. what would we think about that? Well, she may think that's where the presence is, within that. Would you say the presence is within your brain? I don't personally think so. Well, then how do we know that it's wherever... It is. Because it interacts with us and responds to us. But Tanya says the same thing about the brain that we can see and, and um, we know what brains are and we can see and we know sort of how they work, presumably. Right. And 
So Tanya says, I can, I know that I have a brain and I know brains are responsible for thoughts. Uh huh. How do you know that there is something else called a presence and a presence is responsible for these other thoughts? Um, the way I understand it, mm-hmm. my brain is usually the one that comes up with the question and the presence brings the answer. If you were wrong about that, yeah, how would you know? Well, that's that's it. I don't know that I would. But if it works, do I need to know? One of the questions I asked was, yeah. how important is it for you to believe in things that are true and real, something that's that exists? So, for example, okay, see all those pamphlets on the uh, bookcase there. There are an even or odd number of pamphlets there. Uh huh. There is an answer there. Right. There is a truth about that. Right. And regardless of whether Tanya believes that there are an odd number of pamphlets uh-huh. and whether you believe that there is an even number of pamphlets, uh-huh. there is a truth there regardless of how you feel about the pamphlet. Right. So that's what I'm getting at is trying to find out what is true and real. This presence that I'm speaking of is in the, it's the invisible. How do we know invisible things exist? <sighs> do you see that door? I do. Now close your eyes. Can you still see that door? I have a memory of that door. Yes. So in that memory of that door, you're, you're seeing it within. You're not actually, the light isn't refracting onto your retinas and, and the, mm-hmm. going up your mm-hmm. optic nerves to mm-hmm. your brain. You're seeing it okay. in the invisible. Now, if I could ask you a similar question. We can both see that door. Uh-huh. But only you can see that presence, it seems. Well, I don't really see it. I feel it. Or feel it. Yeah, uh-huh. Is that analogy a good one? If we can well, both see the door and have memory of the door, but you're feeling something that maybe Tanya's not feeling? But it's a, it is a, um, it's a personal thing within each one of us, within your individuality, within you as an individual, within your perception— there are things that you perceive about you, within you, that no one else is privy to. To use your example. Right. This red door we're looking at. Uh-huh. What would you say if we looked over at that door? Mm-hmm. Or where that door is. Yeah. And I saw a window. And I said, well, I see a window. It's personal to me. I can't show you the window that I'm seeing, but I'm seeing a window. And you don't see a window. Right. You see a door. Can anyone be mistaken? Doesn't that account for a lot of the differences in actions? Like like take like take somebody that invests in stocks. You know, someone looks at it and they don't see it as an opportunity. Someone else looks at it and sees it as an opportunity. And just like you see that as a window where I see it as a door. But who's to say, if you act on it as a window, 
and that and, and that works out for you that way, then th- your interpretation was right. So if I see it as a window and uh-huh. you see it as a door, uh-huh. and we both walk over there and act on it the way we think we should act on it based on what we think it is, uh-huh. what do you think will happen? If you saw it as a window, what would you do? I would try to slide up the window like windows slide up. Right. And you possibly would open the door like doors open. Right. So what, and if, what and if you couldn't slide it up, what would what would happen then? I would think maybe it's a door. Are you right? You would you would reassess it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's when the that comes in and say, okay, maybe it's a door. Is there a scenario where you would think this presence is working in your life and thinking of it as a window, but maybe someday think of it as a door? Yeah, I think so. I think so, depending on what needs to happen in my life. Um, You know, I think you're the sum of everything that you've lived. There's desires within you, there's desires within me that, you know, we've had since childhood. Some things have come to pass. Some things, you know, we still aspire to. Some things are are those childish beliefs that, you know, we hold them in our secret heart, but they still kind of delight us if we ever take them out and look at them and, and think about them. And, you know, there's there's different times for that to be a door and there's different times for it to be a window, depending on where you are. On your path, where what your purpose is, what your desires are, you know, as you as you look at one thing for your life and your purpose and where you want to go and your desires, it may look as something completely different to me that has a completely different path, completely different desires and purpose. If I desire that door to be a window, uh-huh. Will that have any effect of that door becoming a window? Probably not. But I don't believe it's outside the realm of possibility for someone that has spiritual consciousness of a Jesus or a Buddha or something like that. I believe that that kind of transformation is possible. At the beginning of this conversation, I asked you how confident were you in this belief of a presence. Yes. And on a scale from one to seven, what would you say? Seven. Seven. And then I asked you on a scale from one to seven, how important is it for you in believing in things that are true? Right. And that was a six. Do you, have you changed that at all? No. No, because I still temper it with the world. That's where that six comes in instead of the seven. And where's that one? That one point that doesn't push you to a seven Where does that one point come from? Being alive in the body, in the world. That's where that comes from. From the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsborough, North Carolina, I'm Mark Solomon, and you've just listened to another episode of Being Reasonable. Questions? Thoughts? Connect with us at beingreasonableshow.com. See you next week.
the funk. Disappeared, nothing to be feared. 
suddenly I can't be found No, I'm safe, safe and sound In the West End of Dundee If suddenly I've disappeared Nothing to be feared I'm going back to Dundee By the North Sea If suddenly I can't be found Safe and sound in the West End of Dundee.